Crosscodes podcast, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, with uh, Matt, John, and Steve, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and we're going to uh, talk music, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, please to welcome Matt. P- please to welcome Matt. <laughs> you, you kind please. of, <laughs> you kind of sound like the good professor from um, Captain America, the one played by Stanley Tucci. No, I'm not familiar. You didn't see Captain. Uh, no, America? wait, I am familiar. Yeah, this, the one that Stanley Tucci plays. There needs to be more hilarious German scientists. Because he was great in that. Thing. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that now. He was. He was. But those are only the ones. Yeah, we should drink. America. Drink to your health. No, wait, you can't drink. You have procedure in the morning. And uh, it takes his drink back. Good. Anyway, um, welcome to another week of Crash Chords. Um, I, I have been welcomed. Have you? Have you officially and thoroughly been welcomed? Not thoroughly. Just officially. Yes. Officially and thoroughly welcomed. It's an old Disney movie. It's oh, very I reminiscent. Know. I don't know what. Officially. And thoroughly. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, Wizard of Oz. The, uh, the official um, officially and thoroughly dead by yes. the coroner. By the coroner, I examined her. Yes. Got you got yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. 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 Got it. The okay. Wicked Witch of the East. Um, speaking of Disney, though, I actually did see the trailer recently for Frozen, the new <clears throat> Disney movie. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It doesn't. Which one's Which one's Frozen? It's about like. Uh, I think two princesses is one has this ability that she can create storms and freezes people and so she they cast her out into the tundra and she creates this like nuclear winter and people are trying to This is new. I never and, saw and, it. And there's an enchanted snowman who's with, with them trying to save her. It's like I don't referencing know one thing after the other. On a related it's not getting Disney any note. of us closer to each other. On, no. on a related We're Disney bonding note, at all. The writer from Empire Strikes Back is writing the new Star Wars. Just found that out today. Really? Yes. You know the guy's name? I'm not familiar. I can't remember. Because I remember uh, Irving Kirshner was the director for it's not, Empire, it's, yeah. which is, which, honestly, the guy that I attribute a lot of, a lot of the greatness of that film to. Well, because a oh, lot yes. of it was the shots, yeah. the angles, the, the, the decisions. Yes, things that directors do, right. But there's definitely something to be said for that writer, and I don't know his name. I've never have. Oh, I something interesting. I found out that I told Steve off the air. Um, Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson, he wrote What Lies Beneath. And Choke, the movie Choke, he wrote the script for the adaptation. Choke was a great movie. And he wrote it. How awesome is that? Is Surprisingly it... good for, for, for just shy of being a, uh, a snuff film. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Speaking of which, Paul Nayak, one of my favorite books by him, uh, he wrote Choke and Fight Club and Invisible Monsters. And Survivor. And Survivor. Uh, he did a movie, uh, a book about a snuff film. And it was one of his best books. Really? Yes. I don't remember that one. You know, I once had an intense debate with someone who claimed that the snuff genre was a highly reputable and untapped high art form. I will not say that, wow. mostly because people die. Um, but it can lead no, to... No, mostly in... because of the necrophilia. I think that's really the, the most... The... No, it's mostly with the people dying. No. I, it's not I, really I, necrophilia. I claim necrophilia, he claimed death, but you know. No, no, it's, it's not necrophilia because they die during... The, the scene work. Oh, well, that's They just... don't die, and then the scene work Well, now happens. we're just splitting hairs. Which is really hard <laughs> to do. I mean, you need microfilaments to truly split a hair. Well, clearly, you should have been in this debate. I mean... 
As we leave Matt speechless. <laughs> I got nothing. We're, we're breaking yeah. up for the sides for, again. For, yeah. for, 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 for once, I think I've got, I really got nothing. I had to pull you away from reference uh, to to Th- debate. That That's fair. <laughs> no matter what so we anyway, debate about. Uh, aside from the Disney snuff microfilaments. <laughs> what? That was weird even for you. This is our segue. Yeah, great segue. We just fell off the segue. It's yours. Um, so this Take week, it away, this, this week is my pick. Um, I chose the band Hello Goodbye. Uh, I'm going to read a brief explanation as from the wide world of Wikipedia, which is never wrong. Um, Hello Goodbye, sometimes styled as Hello Goodbye, is an indie pop band... See what I did there? Because it's... You, never mind. No, no one saw what you did there. They it's don't an indie you. pop band that was formed in Huntington Beach, California in 2001 by singer Forrest Klein. They were signed to Drive Through Records. They released their first full-length album, Zombies, Aliens, Vampires, Dinosaurs, in 2006. Um, they also previously released an EP and a DVD titled OMG HGB DVD ROTFL, which is a mouthful. Um, they're... they're they they're an indie pop band, but they were kind of more um, synth pop early on. But they've kind of become a full blown pop band at this point. Um, the current members are Faris Klein, Augie Rampola, Michael Garzon, and Andrew Richards. I should have tried to pronounce those before we started recording. Are are they superheroes in, in right? Real life? I mean, <laughs> those names are pretty badass. Seriously, it's up there. It's up there. He acknowledges that. This is coming from a guy whose name is Matt Storm. So there you are. That's yes. saying something. It's true. Don't give them my full name. What if they find me? Uh, you should be How so lucky. How dare they find you? You should they be find so you and... lucky to be stalked. Uh, yeah. I would love to be stalked. <laughs> I think as an institution. I'm going on record as saying as I don't agree with John, and that's not okay. As long as she's attractive. That's, that's, that what? was the sound of me John hitting John, just for the record. What? You want to get stalked by a nuggo? Really? This this topic's going places I don't want to comment on. Yeah, can we talk about the, the album? Yes. So okay. Hello Goodbye's newest record is the one I chose called Everything is Debatable. It has a single of the same name. Um, and uh, I I was introduced to Hello Goodbye by Mary, um, writer for the website and former guest, um, by a song called uh, Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn or something. I can't remember the name of the song now, but um, it was from their first EP. And then I, I actually bought their, their record, as I discussed before, the one that came out in 2006, which is mostly a plethora of fun uke and synth songs, love songs, um, you know, and it's a fun, kind of simple record. This record was kind of a departure from that. Not necessarily in a bad way, but this record, the newest one, was more, definitely more heavy pop influenced and more dance influenced. There are some slower songs, but the big single is a very upbeat happy-go-lucky dance tune well there's a strange this is a strange case this record because on, on one hand yes you could consider it very straightforward pop but on the other hand i i kind of respect it for what it's trying to do and what how much it's trying to introduce such as their very highly advanced mixing work which again could be uh, owed to the production department or it could just be to the band itself after all it seems so integrated with each and every track, it's hard to ignore, you know, that as, as a component, I think, of the talent here. This right. is definitely a case where you have to uh, hone in on, on the mixing. It's also uh, nice to hear uh, some departures from the pop form. They are introducing uh, some ideas from their indie background, some ideas from their synth background. And it's, it's more pop than anything else. I wouldn't put hyphens in between here, but there's ideas from a, from a couple of different 
locations that are really influencing what they're doing here. And one of the best ideas that they have, and at times one of their worst, is is the idea of really trying to integrate sound bites, trying to integrate unusual tones and unusual work in, in this semi-rigid pop form i agree it's kind of their blessing and their curse on one hand it's it really does separate them and makes them original but then it's often a clutter it often takes away from from theme itself so let's dive into the first track here and everything becomes a blur i regard this with a a kind of a standard techno intro techno beat exploration um and I, I did notice that the bass was trying really hard in this song. It was trying very hard, very early. <laughs> I had, I had an interesting kiss. reaction <laughs> with the with the bass actually in this track. The bass, it, it's sort of strange. It on one listen, I was actually very deterred by it. I I felt that it was sort of this halty thing. That yes, it was trying. It was trying to provide this this good undertone. And then on the other hand, it was during a oh, completely separate listen, it was actually sort of pleasurable. I mean, maybe it, it all was it takes endearing. is just, Yeah, it's endearing because it does sort of hold the track together in a way, and it is your your core point of focus in this track. I don't think they're really alluring you with too many other things here, I but th- the bass is definitely one of them. I think that your... It's a simple explanation, though, for why your second listen was different. It just grew on you, simply, I think. is The things that annoyed you at first, on a second listen, you found more detail and beauty in it and kind of got more attached to it i'm it's not possible it i will uh, concede it's possible but i don't really feel like this song specifically grew on me this one i i was really uh, that beat that that bass was competing a little bit too heavily with the beat work which was really starting to wear on me that the, the heavy beat the percussion is really loud in this song and it did take it away from me yeah it's 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 I mean, first of all, even just with the with the opening, you sort of get a you get an idea of how bizarre this band can really be at times. You know, this strange phasing intro, which sounds like it should be the intro to uh, some strange IFC film, and then on after that, you get what I would lightly describe as almost a a hipster indie track, the the kind of thing that's that's very lively and lighthearted within a certain community. Um, perhaps it's not everyday person's pop it does require a little bit of like i said there's been comparisons you made uh comparison matt to to idm you know intelligent dance music this there's, there's things here that that really do elevate itself just a little bit above pop so i i could see i could see the hipster you know comparison sort of fitting in there and you know it, there's little instru- bits of instrumentation that uh hint to that as well such as there'll be times you get a um a, a snare drum that sounds like it's in the middle of an empty auditorium, you know, with a light acoustic on the side. These little sounds kind of lead you to believe it's more of a coffee shop kind of thing, sort of a, a casual background. But then right after that, they jump back instantaneously back to the sort of heavy, overbearing synth. Sometimes it's overbearing, sometimes it's a little bit more accessible. It really goes back and forth. And I, I, I had a hard time really separating the genre of this first track from anything other than alt. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a very indie foothold. And I mean, even the... They're a very endearing band. I mean, the, the most of the music videos 
that I've seen that they've done have mostly just starred the lead singer, um, and he I think he plays keyboard as well, um, Forrest Klein. Um, you know, but this track to me, I think, was, as far as intro tracks go, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing normal about it, really. It's 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 unique in its own right as far as... Well, even that in itself will change as the as as these tracks go on. Yeah. But yes, it's it's. I think we said all we can about the first track without really p- putting it in context of the later stuff. This is For an instance, album that that it, some of the songs are quite hard to describe. So please listen along as as we we uh, ask you to do. Yeah. For instance, I I think just to speak to the pop side of things, I think that'll be a little bit more best explained in track two. Everything oh. is debatable, self-titled. So this is the this is the. Title track of the record, um, I decided to do this record last week when we were, I was hunting for a choice and I saw that there was a video for their new single, so I listened to it and it has a toe-tapping, humming-along beat, it's, I mean, as far as, as far as pop tracks go, it's pretty formulaic, it's pretty much right out of the mold of a pop, pop dance track. But here's where I'm gonna get into the things that, that really do make it stand out, for instance, the inherent funk going on here. I mean, yeah. just the style of the guitar really harkens back to the 1970s. And it's it's very prevalent throughout this, and you can kind of get into it. Yeah. Not to mention also the the chorus, the, the over, the ooh-ooh-oohs and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it steps in there, and you can't get that in your head. Whether yeah. you like it or hate it, it will be in your head. That's something to say for it. I was really enjoying, especially uh, that, that, that funkiness came in the late bridge. Yeah, uh, and into the transition of the pre-chorus, it was it was engaging. It was it, it, it was hard to say because that was really the most engaging part, and the rest of it was was starting to get uh, kind of heavy-handed with the synth work. It was starting to take a little bit away from me. It was it's unusual because it felt constrained by its form of requiring a lot of work in the choruses that I I just couldn't get on board with the extra extra pieces they were adding in i just i just couldn't fully enjoy it i'm gonna agree with you there i also want to point out that the intro could be perceived as a little bit campy uh i mean from another standpoint all those oohs and do do do's it's all been done before it's it's very it's a little little tiring yeah it is a little childish i mean it it takes you away from but what should be the focus which is the music but also the what the track is supposed to supposed to represent i mean that tackiness is kind of on purpose. I mean, this song... Cheeky. You're trying to say it's cheeky. cheeky. Yes. Yeah. Well, because also, this track pretty much represents... I mean, you're going to see a pretty strong love arc, I guess we'll call it, in this album. We'll get into it more as we go through. But this song is clearly the the, the purest of just empty happiness. Just happy and <laughs> joyful and no real... That's one of the words we were throwing around was, was vapid. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit vapid. But, yes. But that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing. These are all actually very accurate words here, which can be... <laughs> no, no, no. It can be a positive or negative because cheeky, I like. Vapid can be done very well. And yes, we're getting happy. The problem is when you start doing... Those three words together. I mean, you're taking three kind of disjoined ideas and meshing them together. I'm gonna in one amend piece. this a little bit. Carefree can be done very well. Yes, vapid yeah. is generally just not a good thing. I don't think there's any way you can See, really twist feel, that around. But to I feel be the song is more ca- carefree than vapid. I'm leaning more towards the vapid side. The more just thoughtless happiness, just pure. I think that 
childish happiness. The, the, the parts that see, but childish happiness isn't always vapid either. So, so I mean, in fact, childish happiness is carefree happiness. When you're a child, you're more carefree. You're vapid as an adult. But the, the whole thing is, I just don't feel any depth to this happiness in this song. There's not supposed to be. That's an issue on my on my list. There's That's... often there's often not depth to happiness. Period. Yeah. Happiness is is in fact the absence of depth when you. It's a vague really, joy. Yeah, you're not really seeking something that's particularly... Uh, and I think the, the parts that Steve talks about... Otherwise the, you'd say passionate. For the, the, yes. the, the do-do-do's and the, you know, that stuff very much exemplify this kind of carefreeness. That, and those kind of choruses often in pop songs represent a carefreeness. I did enjoy... I think about the things that people hate about fun songs. I did a lot of them have to do with that kind of <laughs> emptiness almost. Hating those who hate fun, <laughs> which I guess is, is, you know, fair. But I do have to say that this, if, if just taking a step back on this, because the, 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 the carefree happiness really comes apart, uh, comes across in his vocals and his lyrics more than anything else. Taking that aside, I really actually enjoyed, uh, the, the synth aspect, the techno aspect of this song. It was catchy in its own right. Maybe I I don't know from I I can't say take away the vocals and it would be a better song. That's obviously going to make it a completely different piece. But I really really enjoyed eh. the music aspect more than the vocal aspect on this, and I felt like the vocals may have detracted from something else that could have been built upon it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I agree. I don't didn't particularly notice the main vocals in this track. I mean. In, the things that really stand out, unfortunately, are sometimes the things that I don't like, and vice versa sometimes, because those doo-doo-doos, again, let's get that out in the open, they're, they're so pervasive, it's hard to ignore them after a while. Sometimes this can lend itself to being sort of a good thing, because if it gets stuck in your head, I mean... You'll remember the song. You will remember the song. That makes it sort of distinctive in that way. Yeah. Whether it's been done or not... Uh, clear, sticks, clearly that's something sticks. that affects you well also the thing about this song too is it's a classic case of how he says it not what he says his lyrics are in this song at least aren't aren't the most in-depth lyrics but how he sings them especially when he's just doing the humming along and the, the, the you know the nonsensical lyrics it's engaging because it's so catchy so it's not really, it doesn't matter what he's saying, it's just the noises he makes, the punctuating but sounds. That, that's your standpoint, and I really didn't find that engagement in the vocals. I really, I just couldn't get on board with that. Well, I wanna, I wanna... That, I, that wasn't drawing me in here. What was drawing me in was was uh, uh, the, the, the kind of funky aspect in the beat. I want to talk about one more thing here, and that's layering. I do think that is a standout-ish thing for this. Because, that's that's you know, what if, I was speaking of. That's to, it, exactly. I, I've said funk, but of course funk is connected to, and in, in lack of a better term, disco. Because if there was one thing this reminded me of really, really closely, it was the recent album we reviewed by Daft Punk, which was Random Access Memories, which had many a disco track on it. Yeah. Blatantly uh, trying to further the disco genre, which really doesn't get done that much. And there's some people that say it can't really be done because disco is... Almost seemingly a dead end thing. I mean, you can only make something so funky and so danceable and carefree, just as we've been describing, before you can't take it any further. That actually reminds me that I was talking about that album recently because 
a lot of people were down on that album because it was so stylistically different from the past. Whereas I was having a conversation with the performer Evelyn Vinyl, who performs in Wasa Bosco, and we that's the reason we love the record, is because it was so different. Oh, no, we, well, remember things accurately. We, we did have our gripes with it. And right. we, even we admitted that the, those tracks were somewhat of a pull from their more edgy stuff. But we did, after all, admit that there was a clear concept behind that album, yeah. that it was a retro album in its core. This not as much going for this yeah, album here right, as a retro album. So I could kind of give this track away as being sort of a cheap shot in that regard. As sort of say, all right, well, here's a really, really catchy song. It is the single after all. It's bound to hook you. And we'll talk about singles a little bit later in the podcast. But that's about all it does. It doesn't really serve too much, I think, to the overall theme here if you find one. Um, I think as far as the the emotionality of the entire record, it serves the purpose of the... It, it does add to the theme. I yeah. will say that. It does actually add uh, to the story that gets built throughout this album. I mean, it, lyrically or at least... Um, emotionally. Emotionally? It does. It does. It does. The, granted, there are other carefree songs on here, but I think it's a different of a different brand. But yes. of course, you have to go through every phase first, so I'll accept that. Either way, I still think that from a musical standpoint, it's a little bit of a cheap shot, if if still catchy, fundamentally. From there, I think we'll take it to the next track. The Magic Hour is Now. This this was the the first of the kind of... We get to a more endearing area with, with Hell Goodbye. I mean, a lot of their songs are very endearing in style and presentation, but this one definitely... It was just a pretty song about this is the heart of love, essentially. This is when you hit the, the high point. Yeah, this is the meshing point where everything is, is uh, as I've said in the past, food and sex. This is the point where you just are clicking with your new partner, where you have not had a major argument, you have not had any problems. Things are just cloud nine. And this song really conveys that emotion quite oh, clearly. Oh, it's a feel-good strum fest. Yeah, that's pretty much what it I is. I think even apart from that, this is the first moment where I really started noticing the vocals and the, the lead singer as a vocal talent in this band. What? Even though like maybe the melodies didn't really highlight it in the first two tracks, it really was highlighted here, especially upon the first chorus. Yes. As we know, and if you've listened to the podcast from the beginning, you know Steve's a fan of vibratos, and there's one in this in this song that's fantastic. He goes vibrato happy in this track, and it, yeah. it really it really hits home. Again, it's sometimes vibrato, it's not just about whether you do it or not, it's about what, how you're phrasing what it. What you do with it, yeah. yeah uh, the way in which, for instance, he ends certain phrases. Well, you would like, you specifically reference when he says sings the word escape in the lyrics, the way he sings you it. Can't, you can't escape its raw power. The yeah. inflection he puts into that line, yes does have a a significant jolt of emotion to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's very much enjoyable. But in this case I'm actually starting to 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 get down on the on the music, on the instrumentation because this is when I'm starting to realizing that the timing of these songs are getting they seem to be getting way too regulated. When he says get down, that's negative for John <clears throat> somehow. <laughs> Would put that out. <laughs> when yes. you're down with something, it means you're on board. You see the problem here? No, I'm John? going downer. It's a down note. A down note. It's a, a down downer. note. There we a go. Downer. There we go. It's a downer down. feeling this this regulation, this constraint in the timing of the actual music. Sorry, I'm it, mocking because I don't really agree, to be honest. I, I think that this is too early to really make that claim. I still think that, on the whole, the structure of the songs are still very, very tight at this point. Yes, it's true that, from a soundbite perspective, they can distract. Um... But I think less so here than is true in other cases in this album. So I, I, 
I, I don't really want to highlight. I think track that, of that this this song was a, a nice mix of endearing and love and lovely. This kind of feeling of loveliness, not just love itself, but just kind of feeling. I don't know how else to put it, but like flowerly and yay. I, know, I, I said that the first the first verse uh, alone was sweet, like hard candy yeah, sweet. Yeah. Um, that could be a bad thing because after right. all, that could be a little bit nauseating. I'm not really a fan of hard candy. Kind of want some substance to go along with it, not just plain sugar at its base. But, that said, I still really, really liked the lines that went with it. Um, I used to see a sunset, so I can give my eyes the sense that something in the world will end, nothing ever ends. That is rather deep in itself. Interesting that that contrasts the music, which is, you know, sort of just plainly sweet. But... I still enjoyed it. Well, we've in the end, in the end, this was still this carried more weight, I think, than a lot of other tracks in this album. Right. Well, I mean, look, the only weight that the second track covers is, hey, fun single, yay, let's go. Like, there's, yeah, you know, and that's what its purpose is supposed to be, I think. No, it's it's that cheeky tete-a-tete between two new lovers, that feeling each other out. That's where that cheeky comes across. Right. But what I'm saying is, this is the first song that has some semblance of substance as well. Well, this is the development of the relationship. Talking theme work that actually fits perfectly. That meshes how it should. This is when you're getting a solidified idea of two people coming together, and you're getting a solidified idea in a song. I mean, that speaks to it. Now, as for the first half of this track, I I was I was very invested to be honest, especially considering some of this lyrical work and and the fact that his his voice really brought it out to me mm-hmm. emotionally. Um, even just the progression, you know, you go from the sweet intro to a sort of thinned down bridge, which really brought it home, and then the the powerful chorus, which highlights the things I said before, and then when it brings it back for the second verse, you get these little short guitar accents, these little minor things that make the second verse more interesting than the first verse. Again, this is a minor point, but I, I try to bring this up when I can, considering that there's so many bands out there that will restate a verse the second time exactly as they said it the right. first time. It's just, it's a, it's often a big hold on the album. It's like, alright, guess I gotta sit through this again. They're making it interesting for me. So yeah. that's why I, I disagree with you here, John, on this the progression of this track. Well, it's... I don't know how to take all of these changes that they're doing, whether they're good or bad. Some of them, hearing the song multiple times, I've regarded the same transitions and the same changes both ways. It's 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 weird for me because I, the only way I can phrase them is that they're unusual. They're just odd in, in some way because while changing up some little extra guitar strumming or, or changing up the synth work a little bit here or there or adding in a new tone doesn't always work. Yeah, but this is not odd in the same way like we've had other bands that will no, literally no, no, divorce sections from this another. This is just, it's, that's why I say they can't be good, they're not good or bad. They're just unusual. And that as a, as a flavor itself. That's too weak of a word here. Yeah, I disagree. This was, this was, this was, was integra- good. purely integrated was good. for me. I, this was this was not this is not a case of the soundbite thing. I want to make it clear. No, it's on, not on, on case to case. If I do have a critique with this track, it comes near the end. And the fact that I feel like they never really hit the high of the first chorus, they started to sort of the track felt like it started to sort of peter out. Like it didn't have a direct goal in mind toward the end. Like it seemed, it seemed like it was going to crash on some kind of secondary chorus that never came. But, you know, I guess you can't hope for everything. On the whole, I guess it's kind of a good-bad sort of thing. They're keeping you on your toes by making it 
unpredictable toward the end of the track, but at the same time, they never they set up this track as something that was fairly that was easy to follow and hit a high note very predictably. You'd think they would persist with that. I don't see anything in the in the content of the lyrics that would hint otherwise. No, but also, I mean, let's also look at this at its core. As far as pop music goes, there's worse than this. This is by far... Oh, no, this is not a... I still think this is a very positive track in this album. Um, it's it's merely the, the goal, I guess, that the track had in mind is more of a question mark in my head. It's not, it's not so much a heavy critique, just right. a bit of a question mark at this point. I mean... You know, maybe it has something to do with the theme. After all, the magic is now. But if, if you're detecting a, a flow in, in overall theme work of the album here, then clearly that's something that will not last. Yeah. This wants to let you view there, in which case which the could end be... could be viewed as foreshadowing. Right. Which... I'm just saying that the, the direct musical experience of it is somewhat cagey. Yeah, but, but I think you might be onto something with it being that kind of foreshadowing. Because that likely is, is in is on purpose. Um, let's move on to uh, Swear You're in Love. This, this was... This was, uh, this was my downturn, to be honest. Thematically, was the step towards uh, that true level of commitment. You've hit your stride, and now this is the, the deepening of the emotional bond between two people. But it was, surprisingly for me, very baseline emotionally. So this song, I mean, it didn't evoke a ton of emotion, not as much as, as other other tracks will later and have before it. But, I mean, it's kind of your cheesy 80s prom music, insert 16 Candles or some other movie here, prom scene. I agree. You and could really see the... the but, but the lyrics, I mean, analyzing the lyrics of the song, it is very insincere in the love it's trying to convey. Right, and, but, and I'll, to be honest, though, that's part of the reason why I think my, my, my opinion about the previous track still stands because when you consider uh the track that they're going into which is very blatant you know love 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 is great great then i really can't take that that um that foreboding yeah. cagey nature of the end track seriously i kind of just want to feel that it it it, it wanted to end and it, it yeah. petered out naturally but the case here my problem is that i mean uh, theme aside just from the music standpoint, it has a very nice sway to it. You kind of feel, like Matt said, like you're on the uh, the dance floor or the or the gymnasium of your high school. I mean, you'd think you'd think it would be a very straightforward love. You're not really looking at anything I think complex. At the same time, it's got this bass in the background. I know this is kind of a minor point, but you'd think that if you're in a track that you want to sort of sway to and enjoy this bass wouldn't be quite so overbearing. I mean, I feel like it's, just as a rule of thumb here, I think it's very easy to have sensory overload on this album, which, far be it from me to say that, because usually I like, you know, delving into something and having having a lot to offer. The funny thing, though, is that in this case, it, it just, I sort of get a sense that that these sound bites are trying to cover up something that maybe the core theme doesn't quite have. Maybe. I mean, the oomph, you know, it doesn't have that. I mean, or it could just be that they're kind of trigger happy and they like throwing in sound bites. I mean, it not that might. Means, after all, it is their talent. Yeah, like I mean, it might not be so premeditated as, you know, we're trying to hide something. It could just be, hey, this is a cool thing, let's throw it in. I you mean, know, but in the end, it does come down to composition. I of would like course. a more flowing uh, nature to it. Because they are cool. That's what I want to make it, make it clear that they're 
really, really, they come up with really inventive sound bites. Things that really do get stuck in my head sometimes for hours and days. Uh, I can't, I can't deny any of that. It's just in the process of listening to it, you want them to either expand on a certain idea or just stick with something for a little while or just make them flow better together. Anyway, this is not really my point right here. When it comes to this track, it's more about that beat in there that I felt didn't fit the theme, didn't fit the tone. I wanted a soothing nature to this track. It didn't come. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, honestly, more what bothered me than the bass, because the bass I was kind of able to go on board with. It was the strange breakdown in this song. Yeah, well, that's, that's coming too. It's just, it, it the song is going a certain direction, and then it reaches the breakdown, and it just, it almost felt like it didn't even fit the song. That, uh, that, uh, that uh, talks to its sound bite combinations they like to throw in there, because it was fairly divorced. Uh, it was, and that that breakdown right there, that kind of lost the whole earnest nature that had been developing in the previous tracks. Well, that's what made this song not as earnest as pre as the previous track or tracks to come later. It, it's it because was, of it that moment. It was less moment. upfront about everything. That's the thing. That, that, I feel that like heard it. I agree with you here. I think it wants it wants me to be in the moment. It wants me to be in the moment that it's trying to convey, and yet it insists on just distracting me from that moment with these other things. It could be so much more earnest. That's really my point. You know, yeah. go big or go home. That's that's the idea when it comes to this track. The whole title is called Swear You're In Love. That that seems so meaningful at the outset. So, yeah. you know, I really want them to take it as far as they can take it, which I just feel like they were playing the safe card here. Pick a good beat, pick a good uh, good beatbox, and a good, uh, and a good bass riff, then you got it. That's it. That's yeah. all you need to do for this track. It, don't need to accentuate the positives. Well, I, th- I think what's also kind of frustrating is it's clear in the sound of the track that they were going for that prom high school prom feel, and the backbeat detracts from that, so it's kind of frustrating. Because if you're so on the nose about a thing, why throw in that distracting backbeat right. also? That backbeat, that backbeat actually decreased the swaying nature of the rest of the tracks. That's, that's my yeah. point exactly. How can you feel like you're swaying when all of a sudden you should be? You know, it was too. It was too dancing, dancing. One thing and not enough of the other, and back and forth. Exactly. But that said, I do have a little bit of a devil's advocate point to play here because I would imagine that some of these critiques that we're giving toward not just this track but but other tracks in this album probably are somewhat in the same vein as music critics may have given to predominant 80s pop. Because certainly not everyone is a fan of it at the time. Yeah. The funny thing is that as it's grown on us now, a lot of people look back at 80s pop as being kitschy. Could it be that this is in the same boat in that regard? So all these things that I look at as being, oh, that's spastic, or that doesn't fit, right? Down the road could be accepted. Of course, it's already been done before. So the point is, is they're they're not bringing this out in like a completely new way. That's like, that's like a rehash of something that's been done and then has now become nostalgic and kitschy, and that's why they're doing it in the first place. So I'm not sure that really holds up. I just want to address that. Right. Yeah. Um, which that I th- was that was quite eloquent. Thank you. That was a lot to digest. Give me a minute. You 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 work on that. Mm-hmm. You take a minute. I'll introduce the next track. <laughs> Summer of the Lily Pond. Okay. So. This, this is where we get into the real heart, soul, and beauty of the record. Um, this is where the, the, the sincerity and the endearingness of this band really starts to come out. I mean, first of all, the, we, we have a feature in this track that hasn't appeared in any other track on the record. 
up until this point, and they have beautiful horn work in this That's track. That's not the only feature. Violins do come in later as That's well. That's right, towards the this end. This track did uh, an amazing job of peaking and valleying its tone in, in such a way that the builds and introductions of the instruments, because the horns were not brought in, they were trickled in. The violins weren't just abruptly strumming or bowing. Bowing, not strumming. Can you abruptly strum a yes, violin? Yes, you can. You can abruptly strum a violin. Yeah, you know, I don't recall the um the violins particularly, but I they recall were, I recall the horns. Were, Mostly, it was saxophones. To be honest, it was a sax section mm-hmm. that really brought this album uh, this this track to fruition. But it was introduced with such uh, deliberate intelligence in this track, where they would bring in something, and they would actually let it burn itself out and go back into that valley, and then bring it in a little bit quicker, and with a little more introduction, with a little more complexity. It was a great job and in you know, doing that. The reason for that is the structure of this track. It's really unlike anything we've had so far. In fact, it's unlike anything we really reviewed, period. It is a strange case for having a an especially long verse. A verse that's like divided into three sections if you consider the first section to be this really eerie intro where the and afterwards the verses start shifting their chordal center around. Like you start out the eerie intro starts off in like B flat minor and you go to E flat minor. You even throw in this flat 5 here, it might even be a suspension. It's a little strange. And then after that you switch to this secondary section which comes fairly shortly afterwards. This E flat minor B flat minor. That's really foreboding i think which really leads you to i guess the conclusion of the verse even though they're going to cycle around again and that's this very carefree as the word we've described from many other things in this album a flat minor to d flat minor major that's the big shift here and that's it's after that that the next time you join in with the first part of that cycle that the sexes come in and that's the thing that john's describing here that that's that the intelligence here of building up a verse that is unpredictable to begin with and then as you cycle back make it even more interesting the second time around such that you could even interpret that third section here as the chorus itself but that's not the real chorus because it doesn't come till much later in the track there's a lot going in the way of build up here it's astonishing it's it's not soundbiting anymore they are actually sticking to the themes that they're designing they're not just using notes Ooh, but i want to propose one little thing here it like on the face of it these little shifts, these tiny tonal shifts, could be interpreted as a little jarring to begin with because they change the tone so much. But it is creative. And it, because you start to accept the cycle after a while, it, it just it flows together really well. I love that combination of emotions from the eerie to the foreboding to the carefree. And you consider a, a track called Summer of the Lily Pond, you know. It's, I, already, I, it's already clouded to I, begin I'm with. I'm starting to get the picture of this summer. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, a great antithesis to the problem we often have in certain tracks where there's no build-up at all to a chorus. It's just they fall into it. Yeah, this was this was a, a, a beautifully long... It was long, a calculated build. It's a beautifully long build-up yeah. in the chorus. It feels like... I think what it comes down to is it feels like a real song at this point, less of a gimmick. I think maybe that's one of the problems that I was having with some of the earlier tracks. It's like, okay, here's your courtesy disco funk track, right? Here's your courtesy 80s prom track. This 
was really hard to pin down. This was I don't very have a, original. I don't have a comparison here, and that's really, really good. I, and that's rare for us, too. Usually we can slap something on it to try and yeah, put it in well, a box. That's just the way actually, that's a lot of nature. music is today. Is yeah. You can detect their influence if you there have your own There is one comparison I can make, but it's only in the outro, and that is... Ska. Not even Ska. <laughs> it felt... I feel like I knew it. Not just Ska, but it felt really modest mousy. Oh, all right. I hear that too. That it wasn't. It wasn't just an outro. It wasn't just a great influences. outro. It was truly artistic in its outro, and its transition into the next song. Right. It was. It was just art at that point. It was just so well done. And of course, that and section punctuated. And of that course, section is really where they bring in the, the horns and everything, and that's after the the ultimate chorus, which comes after a breakdown, where they change the tonal center again to G flat major seven with this really soft, sweet, longing section to. To complement all that that build-up that came before. You're going through so many mood swings in this song. And then finally they end on sort of a similar chorus-like thing as the final part of the verse. And and honestly, that schizophrenia almost with the emotion kind of reflects the moment in the emotional arc that the song's supposed to represent. This is kind of the real... Not that the other stuff in the relationship wasn't the real stuff, but this is kind of the real... Like, the real meat of the relationship where everything's not perfect. There are ups, there are downs, you're sorting through things. It's It's very much... And the music built this long build and then this kind of almost schizophrenia... In, it, it kind of really explains this range of emotions it very does well. A, it does a great job of connecting the happy-go-lucky beginning to the deeper, darker uh, latter half of this album. Not that the, the, there's such a big tonal shift, but they are get, trying deeper theme work and darker theme work in their music. That's the thing. I it's mean, a, a great lot of, a job lot of, of doing is... both. It's, a, it's amazing that way. Yeah, a lot of this is, is interpretation, <laughs> but it's true that that as this goes on and as you get more tracks like Summer of the Lily Pond, it, it makes the, the overall theme easier to believe. You know, I, I like going through more of a range of emotions. I don't like a track that just sets you up with one thing and here's that thing. Granted, though, and again, we'll talk about this as we get to singles, a lot of people do like that. They do like the exploration of just one thing. But often... Uh, in this case, there was not a lot of tracks in this album that really were an exploration, you know, necessarily. Well, also, some songs, though, it depends on what people are looking for and what you want to... Gra- it's all about the grab, however you get there. Exactly. Especially with a single, but I mean, we'll get back to Who knows, maybe into, just for, for the for the ADD listener, I mean, there's a lot of grab in this track alone. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's constantly surprising. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the outro and the transition to the next track, which is really chilling. As you continuing that, that sort of brassy saxophone... Uh, uh, outro it's sort of a shebang you have yeah. like a little party at a certain point and then it gradually starts to fade away and then the chord shift is just really strange you go from that um g flat major seven to uh e major seven that's what's really kind of odd and during that you have the saxophone doing a trill a really rapid trill just as the transition occurs bleeds seamlessly right into the next track and sets up uh the key there as being E major as well. And it's very surreal at that point. I mean, I think that this next track, uh, what do we have here? Just don't, just don't let go. Just don't let go. This is the track that I it's think actually, is the logical. Just don't let go. Just don't. No, just don't let go. Just don't. This track is the logical, uh, follow up mm-hmm. to the previous eighties like track that we got, uh, say you're sway. Bleh. <laughs> swear you're in love. 
Right. It's this... Those two tracks almost function together, but R- this one was a lot more effective in its it's earnesty, I think. Well, this track was also... It was a lot more earnest than the previous track. Granted, it had to do with the transition, of course. Right. I mean, the transition sets you up so peacefully. You're already in a frame of mind. And it You're gi- in a mood going into us. And it gives you a, a much more stronger sense of love, but in a different way now. Because this song is about... Now life's getting in the way. You know, life happens and things aren't perfect. And it's kind of just the idea of not giving up, not letting go. And sometimes I just want to bury my head in your chest and not think about life. Yeah. Bury yeah. myself in this love and forget the world. These deeper tones that were, we were introduced at the ending of Summer of the Lily Pond are, are propagated in Just Don't Let Go. These deep tones are being built, are doing a good build in, in the verses and goes into kind of a jumpy, frantic uh, choruses, which I think actually start are, are doing a good job of showcasing the idea of just don't let go, of, of holding on a little bit too tight to this love that's turning a little bit sour, of, oh, I love you, I love you, don't leave me. It's, it's jumping from slow to high emotion. And that that's actually the one th- uh, critique I will give it. When you go from the, the soft verse, which I was totally invested in to the chorus a little quick it's almost like you know they get a little chorus happy at this point and so that's that's the exact thing i was talking about in the previous track in this track they fall into the trap that we've seen too yeah. many times this chorus happiness okay, but, again, but they can't wait to get there we're talking about multiple points simultaneously that's one minus here it's a lot of pluses especially i think yeah. more going for it as a whole than uh than sway you're in love did oh absolutely and that chiefly is the re- uh because of the they took the beatbox out. But, just, I mean, it's still there, but it's not the highlight. It's it's not as pervasive as it was in Swear You're In Love. You actually are drawn into the soothing nature of this track. I feel it. But I, to play devil's advocate, as you often like to do, if we have this I song do. that fulfills that 80s kind of prom role, that kind of, kind of feel anyway, why have the previous track? There's naivety in Swear You're In Love. Naivete. <laughs> naivete. I was close. <laughs> he reads a ever, lot. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually said that word aloud before, so yeah, I was close. That's not to be said. You, you read. Um, it's good. The, this one is a little more self-aware. Just Don't Let Go is a little more self-aware in what it's doing. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the idea of, of the, the, more, the abrasive jump from verse to chorus. They didn't hit the nail on the head, but conceptually, it's what they're going for, and they're doing it. They have a clear a clear idea in this song of where they're going, and they're accomplishing it. I just wanted them to do it better, I guess, <laughs> well, is what it comes down to. It was just a little bit too jarring. No, that's kind of the strange thing about this track. I mean, yes, granted, the, the choruses came a little early, but on the whole, this track has a very static nature to it, which in this particular instance, I am not citing as a negative. I enjoyed the static nature of this track because it, it got me immersed. This is, again barring the case of the of the chorus that came a little sooner than I wanted it to come. Barring that, I think this track really was earnest in every sense of the term. Yes. Perhaps more so than many other tracks here. It's certainly earnest is not the word that I'd even use to describe the previous track. Lily Pond is 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 a mesh of things that are actually kind of evasive when you really think about it. But that's that's positive in of its own right. This is something separate. But the funny thing about how earnest this is, it's still not the most earnest track on the record. We're still getting to that. Ooh, well. <laughs> and it's I, a I different think it's level. high. It's high this, up there. This is fully admitting to being stuck in a loop, to be 
stuck somewhere. Uh, to, to be caught in a little bit of a trap of a relationship. No, just don't let go. And of course, that's the kind of funny way in which it spins it, because it's got this dance into the night sort of outro. A very prolonged outro, actually, for upwards of a minute to two minutes. It's, it's uh, I really go on it. with this falsetto. Yeah, and it's, it's um, as I said, that's what keeps it, 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 it stays in the zone that it began in. So in this case, I was kind of uh, that outro didn't once again didn't quite mesh with the rest of the song. Oh, I thought it was it kind did. of it wasn't a hundred percent. It was like the jumps. It uh, was just not a hundred percent. I'm with Steve. I think it did mesh really well, and it fit the theme really well because this kind of change, even though it's showing how this love can fall apart, it also builds into the delusion that when you're in a position like that. And I've been. You don't want to let go. You don't go. want to let go, and you convince yourself that everything's fine, and even you, when it's clearly not that's around you. That's why I'm you. saying and this whole dance into the night kind of thing. Fits like, to you, it. You, you, you know. just want to dance into the night and pretend it's not, you know, nothing's wrong. And this is a, dipping into the theme, I think, that's going to come much later at the end of the album. And, of course, the idea that, you know, people often connect relationships to the idea of life itself. For instance, you don't want to die, and you don't want things to end, right? That's right. kind of... I think that's really the running theme going on here. And at, since we are human, we think we're going to live forever, or at least we like to think we're going to live forever. So we pick these moments. We try to make them eternal. And I think that's what the end of this track really does. Granted, from a musical standpoint, it's still very basic. This yeah. is a very, very basic, you know, 80s synthy, prom-y kind of track. And I've described that to death. It's not doing anything complex, but at least it's straightforward. You know, that's... When you're looking at two different things, at least you'd prefer the straightforward brand of that theme. And it's a great lead-in to the next track, which I feel is the most earnest track on the record. It's probably the best track on the record. Ooh, it's up there. And it's called, I Don't Worry, parentheses, as much as I should. Oh, so, I this mean, one. As far as sound bites go, this one makes one of the most emotionally impactful uses of of sound bites. This it wasn't even sound bites. The 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 tonal work, the synth work becomes full theme work in the song. Let's clear the air for here. We have a piano track. Yes. That's very important. Yes. It's this is mostly focused around the piano. And it's this a is beautiful not, and earnest track that has the most heart on the record. This is not that cop out piano too. This is not just a, a man in the auditorium. They added a lot more depth to it than what you would normally expect exactly. with that kind of a cop out. And that it, it captures that core idea of loneliness and and isolation, but couples it with some great building and great work on top of it. One of the long more... intro here. I want to you... also mention this. There's about forty seconds or near forty seconds of just sort of a, a growing synth before you even really dive into that piano thing here. So again, with the slow buildups, I like when they take their time. And also, the one of the more curious things about this track is during the piano. There's also this background rumble that the first time you appear, it almost sounds like it's not real, like you're you're imagining it. It's yeah, just like, like they're low. doing construction work outside. Let me take my headphones off. Like it's a low rumble, but then it keeps coming back, and it really represents this idea that, in the theme of the song, you know, I sh you know, I don't worry as much as I should, and it's that idea that he's ignoring this low rumble, but there's something there, but he's still focusing on the heart, the good, the love. Even though there's something kind of looming in the background. Yeah, and it kind of faces in and out, which tells you that it's not exactly a linear thing. There's yeah. all, you know, it comes and goes, the like first, problems the, the do. The first breakup never takes. <laughs> but this, this does a, a, some great work of 
not only creating the emotion and the instrumentation, but this is where I really point to the album lyrically. This is this is my favorite track lyrically, uh, not just with and and vocally as well. I think he does a great job of coupling his vocals with the piano. But I love the lines. How do I want so bad to bring about the future that I'm tearing off sutures halfway through? That's very interesting. very very graphic. And my and the truly my favorite line. My favorite line. And how do I forget for just a moment how much meaning I bestow upon that fleeting little hope? Mm. And that 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 line right there that gripped me hearing it. Yeah, that's that's really what I think takes this track, um, maybe even this album to the next level. Um, it's uh, it comes down to to that that shift between the verses and the choruses here. These transitions, it's not the kind of overbearing chorus that you would expect from some other tracks here or from choruses in general. It's a very lively yet light chorus. I kind of enjoy them playing around with this mix of emotion. You go from contemplative to carefree, right? Mm-hmm. It's contemplative while the rumble is is brewing in the background. While you have this, the, yeah. the simple two-beat piano work going on. Right, and then you get this transition, which is sudden, but very soothing, kind of relaxing, because it, it sort of keeps you at keeps it at bay for a while. And that's that, that playing around with emotion here. I feel like the parts that are the most lively feel the most wrong for the person that's being discussed here, as if that's where he shouldn't be. Yeah. As if they're taking you away from for instance, the parts he should be worrying about, as in the title of the track here. The as rumble in, is really what matters and probably what should be the focus, but then it just gets snuffed away as if you're trying to distract yourself, as we do often. But it, what's, that's, what's great is... That's amazing, to convey that through it, music right there. The, the, energy, the energy remains the same throughout the track, and that's what keeps... That, that's what allows you to accept the, the choruses, the, the more technical, I guess... Or, or the the more produced choruses with the, the, the integration of a lot more synth work into it. They're just a little livelier. I wouldn't go so far with it. They're just slightly livelier. That's it. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like the same energy is flowing throughout the whole song. The same speed, yeah. that same tempo. And it's it's really a very... For its, its constrained uh, timing, it actually is quite open because of the speed it is being played. And that really does just a great job... Of, of creating tension yet relaxing. Yeah. It, it really does live up to its namesake. It really does, in its construction and, it, and its breakdown and the way that it was pretty much built, it, it really, it's nice to see a song that really does clearly convey a theme within the song, on the song level, that's just so apparent that you can't, there's no interpret, there's not much interpretation in this song. This song is very much a representation of what the title suggests. This also, I, I'm starting to see now why you, why you said that this was the most earnest track. Granted, of course, it's a different kind of earnesty than you get in the previous track. Maybe the previous was a little bit more straightforward. This is slightly dicier because you're playing with two emotions simultaneously. I mean... Earnest would still apply as a word, but yet but it's ironic. Maybe it's more. Its maybe it's more honest. And that is. I go. think it's it. It's just a, the most honest track on the record. But in that, distinguished earnesty from honesty. It does have that ironic slant that he's admitting he's not honest with himself. Of course. Yeah. Which and is yeah. which is one of the greatest things about it. Yeah. It's 
it's uh, it's great. It really is great. From a, from a musical standpoint, I also want to point out here that that this band is starting to prove that they have a very when they go big, right? When they go for these these high minded ideas, grandiose yeah, ideas. They they have a very unique way of voicing certain things. Yeah. I, I I experienced that as I was trying to sort of figure out certain chords that it it's it's not so clear cut. You know, you there's any number of ways that you can play around with voicings in all your in all different ranges for instance just the manner in which they de- they divide up the bass the treble and the mid ranges is just rather unique on a chord by chord basis it's something that definitely separates them from your everyday pop band it right. becomes more apparent here in the middle part of this album and and unfortunately though all good things must come to an end and moving on to the next track how wrong i can be so my biggest problem with this song, I'll start us off, is that it was very schizophrenic and cluttered. It it wasn't sure what it wanted to be. That being said, I'm still not sure if it was intentional or not. But I, it's a very soundbitey song that seems like it can't make up its I'm mind. I'm going straight off that this is something that really doesn't fit the theme that we're building here. No, I do see it fitting the theme. Well, it, I this see is, it from the title alone. But not from the track, not from the music. Uh, no, I could see the idea of throwing in all these sound bites as stuff is hitting the fan. This is the, the, the real... <sighs> That's the, loose. The, it's too loose. This is the beginning of the end. This is that rumble is finally hitting forefront and we have our thunder and our lightning and it's hectic and it's chaotic. Uh, I just don't think it was done well enough. Let's exercise a it little bit It of... wasn't really just done... To my to, to to what I liked, it, I didn't I didn't enjoy That's the cluttered nature. Blame just a little bit here. First of all, in terms of an intro, yet again, approving that they can really grab you. Um, you know, in the first couple of seconds, it doesn't always allude to where the track's gonna go, but at least the first couple of seconds can be really bizarre and and intriguing. But this in intro... this case, you get something. I I swear the this intro reminded me of of Grandmaster Flasters the message like. Old I've, school, 70s hip-hop right here I, is I, what I got. I wrote down the same exact thing right yeah. before you so said it. Clearly, I'm not uh, I'm not imagining this. It was a bizarre throwback to, I mean, we granted there's been many things here that have thrown back to the 80s. Well, this is throwing back even further. It's just, you know, it's again one of those sound bites, which is really cool when you hear it the first time, and then you want it to go somewhere. Well, because it's disappointing because it doesn't go where you anywhere where you want to be in any semblance whatsoever. It's such a grand sound bite. You think like 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 a show is gonna go down yeah. after that, you know, and you just don't quite get that. You get sort of a eh, basic melody, basic chorus, basic verse. I can't really. There was very little that was stand out, aside from the occasional return of the soundbite, but there's nothing that lived up to it for the rest of the track. And there was a, that was a disconnect, straight up disconnect, I'm calling it. Yeah, and I mean, but let it be said also that this track wasn't bad by any means, it just was not, first of all, it didn't live up to a lot of the other previous tracks that we'd heard just before, especially the run of tracks we just had, but also, because of its cluttered nature, it just, it, it doesn't. There's no clear, concise idea in this song. I mean, maybe I missed it in the lyrics, but in the music, I agree with Steve. There's just there's not a lot here to grab onto. It's uh, this one I'm gonna test. They tried to go for something, and it's it's a failure in in its in in its execution. The concept it was there. There was the concept of 
trying to create some heavy discourse, really introduce the yeah. idea of destruction to this relationship. But they it does, just it didn't do phase it right. It, in and out. Good. it does phase in and out of these little moments of power here and there, but in, in a kind of inconsistent way. And you do also have really great uh, beat work, great breakdowns. Very gripping. Very yeah. gripping in the beat work. But again, they all, were the, so all, fleeting. This, all this, it's, yeah, very, very fleeting and very, very separate from the mess. When, mm-hmm. you, when you add up all of these, you really have components that you could perhaps individually say, oh yeah, that's awesome. But as a theme, I just, I don't know, it doesn't really stand out in any way. It just kind of peters out with the verse, you know, near the end. Yeah. The chorus doesn't live up, that's for sure. And it, it's coupled with the next track, an external force, which is almost more of the same. I struggled to even write any notes for this one. It's a different kind of track, but yes, it's, it has sort of the same effect. It, it It's more straightforward than the track before. It's not nearly as cluttered, but there's still a lot of sound bites. Well, it's... It's not as overwhelmingly cluttered get as it the out previous of the track. Open. Yet again, bizarre intro. The yeah. kind of thing that really could lure me in, right? Yeah. If they just, you know, pushed it further. Uh, this like bizarre guitar strumming with like a siren synth work in the background, very strange. But I'm just I don't know. I'm always disappointed. It seems. And in this case, I would say that even those little snippets of beat work that I enjoyed in How Wrong I Can Be was better. But once again, just as fleeting. And in this song, I was actually getting upset at the amount of hi hat they were doing. I was really just just. It was droning on and really, really pulling me out of everything else. And I have to say, that's that's just yeah, that was bad for me. That was just pure bad for me. <laughs> but I yeah, think- every once in a while, something will just you know irritate you, and then it's hard to look at things objectively. I'm still yeah. trying to look at this objectively, but you know, it's uh, my my main beef with this was I think just the the melody itself. It came to a point where during during the choruses, uh, maybe it was during the. Uh, little points here were just the content. It was during the choruses. The content just seemed really, really generic. I mean, like, the straight-up construct of the melody itself it felt like it had been done thousands upon thousands of times. I Like, if I just looked, I bet I could find it. And I, it's one of those things, it seems like it's pervaded pop culture everywhere you find. And that's just in the notes of the melody itself. You know, I can't describe that without singing it straight up. So, reference it and listen and... See if it rings a bell. Maybe it is a reference, but it it doesn't make sense to me, especially considering some of the other in- innovative work surrounding here. Uh, the only innovative work in this particular track is just the intro. So expand. <laughs> it's just it's a shame because those I agree those intros for both of these songs were so good, and jarring and different, and then nothing was done with it. And I think that's the most disappointing part was- is that you do something to gain attention. It's like grabbing somebody, shaking them, and then walking away without saying anything. That's exactly it. That's perfect. That is that is exactly what this this album does sometimes to a whole in in certain moments. Yeah. Definitely not when they're at their best. But that's the filler. That is that is the feature of their filler. That idea of just shaking you and huh, that was weird. Like they do that from a moment to moment basis sometimes. That's that's that is the sad uh, ne- negative end to their soundbite work. They can be really, really innovative, but when they're just trying to provide filler, it's it becomes very apparent what they are, and it's stuff to just distract you from the fact that the content can be kind of bland. Again, another listless chorus also in this yeah. track, same as the previous track. Yeah. Uh, I think it's we can safely move on to the next track, because those two tracks are kind of very similar in how 
not great. Yeah, this, is, this yeah. unfortunately is, is, a, is a negative stretch for me. Ten the, also... Die yes. young, die this dumb, was, not soon is the name of the track. This was bland and negative in a different way. We're, we're, we're delving into a little bit more. I kind of liken this to very early All-American Rejects. It had that same sort of kind of young, naive feel to it. And the reason I fought you on saying the earlier track was vapid, and I fight that it's more just a carefreeness, is because this track was vapid. It's at a point also in the story where you're, you're, you're really getting the sense of, you know, you know, it's, you know, die young, die dumb, not I soon. I agree 100% it's, with Matt here. This is the reason why I was defensive of the first track. And I'm not just saying this like, oh, in retrospect, hmm, it wasn't vapid. I literally didn't notice it in the first time. I, like, I admitted that, yes, there was a, more of a generic nature to just the the carefree pop nature that you're going to find in pop tracks, especially near the beginning of the album. But it was not quite so glaring as it was here. This track... Eight, nine, happy, ten. happy, 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 happy. And no, considering the title, wrong, too. <laughs> they were actually going for 8, 9, 10 is supposed to be the explosive breakup. Of course. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and you they tell do me it wrong, so but the music does not hint that I at all. I know. That's, I don't know if they know how to make that. Oh, that's bold. They know how to make that because they did it in other tracks. It, it's, it's... I, I can not... assume maybe they're going for some kind of irony here. But well, I think I at mean... this point, I am past the... I am past the uh, the cagey nature. I no longer want that, like, oh, well, maybe I'm in two places at once, or maybe I just haven't realized it. No, th- we did that three tracks ago. You know? Give me something. Yeah, dive deep. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. Can I mean, we, that's we... kind of the, the sense of track 10. Track 11 is where they actually finally dive deep at the end. It kind yes. of rescues us from the, the, the whole ending being a, a disappointment. It doesn't save the record for me, but it does a great... See, and I disagree. I think this brings it together for me and saves it from this crapping does, the bed. It, at this point, I'm looking at the theme work, and it really it feels like the theme has already been destroyed for me. The ending of the book was just, just not good enough. But I kind of see track 11, near death exper- a near-death experience, as an expose after the story that that does a very good job the song starts with beautiful synth and string work that you know with also a sound bite that just kind of sounds like almost like a cassette rewinding which it's beautifully forlorn yeah it kind of and i mean steve mentioned at some point the song you know sounded very full of soul but but the reality of it calling a song a near death experience and then making it sound as haunting and strange as this song did, with still having beautiful lyrics and melody, really kind of locked this track for me. That, to me, is them playing around with the same concept they were playing around in track 7. I don't mm-hmm. worry as much as I should. That's, that's that playing around with two emotions simultaneously. But in this particular case, it's two very different emotions. Um, maybe this soul is a little bit familiar, but it, it's, it's still even distinctive even for this record. Yeah. The highlight here... And even though it's 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 almost fleeting, it's it's the soundbite. I call it a soundbite because it is, after all, it's just a three, uh, three or four note progression, or I should say, downward spiral that goes on from the opening chorus. And I do mean chorus this time. It yeah. seems like there's a choir there. Yeah, yeah. And this is again them playing around with that strange voicing. They go into these, like, non-chord tones as the spiral is going down. And it's like, I feel like 
this is the near-death experience. It actually is kind of chilling. Well, the, That's the, the effect that it gave on me. The sound reminds me of in Bioshock, the video game. <laughs> when the 1950s music was playing, but on the broken radios that would kind of wind and drone. Right, I see exactly what you're talking about there. It, it's the same kind of creepiness. Yeah, it, it's similar it's, in that vein. Uh, this, yeah. this felt a little grander for those, to me. Yeah. For those that don't play video games, it's sort of that scene in uh, a thriller where the jukebox just kind of turns on and kicks itself up. And that's a hard comparison. <laughs> no, I think it actually is a pretty good comparison because it's that same sort of soundbite. Uh, that's, I mean... That yeah, I but, can't make the sound at all. You know, we can't. I mean, we're not a chorus here. Yes. Um, also, I don't, do, probably one, don't have that high pitch. Have but the thing for, here... Now, I, this, I just think that's a incorrect comparison because that, that implies it being such something so lighthearted. Oh yeah, jukebox turning on. This no, is it's really that haunting harrowing. nature. Maybe that I'm alone. Try, I'm trying to the thriller haunting idea that that comes in a thriller movie or a, a horror movie when that happens, not the happy go lucky flip the switch on everything turns on bright, but nobody touches it. The jukebox turns on and it's kind of creepy ghosty. I would liken it more to, you have a hero and he is dying. The choir stepped in there to sing as his heart stops. Okay, well, that's really deep right there. Yeah, and that's what I felt, which okay. is why I take issue with your jukebox. Speaking of depth, <laughs> I feel like this was the most cohesive of tracks. The, the flowing of the transitions were just beautifully done. And it really it, transforms... It had been the, done in other places, too, but this was clearly the editing... As I said, this is what I started to say before, with the, with the, the two different sections here. They're doing what they did back in track seven, because they go between this, this grand choir to this soul section. Yes, it's, it's kind of a strange uh, break, and yet the fact that they're able to do it is really kind of impressive to me. You know, it, it just kind of goes to say that I, I know they can be on board when they have a grand idea. So perhaps that's all it is. You know, maybe we have to accept some of these other tracks in this album as filler because we know what they're capable of. We see that, yeah. you know, in these cases. But in this case, I, I cannot accept so many of these tracks as filler because of just, with, After just a while, with the trifecta of Summer, Just Don't Let Go, and I Don't Worry... That's just a really beautifully done cohesive piece. Yes, just don't let go. Did have a little bit of, little bit of a gradiness in the, in the in the transitions, but those three songs just work so beautifully together. They do such a great job of creating a, a mood. I can't accept that 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 we were able to have three filler tracks leading up to this ending, leading up to this epilogue. It's just not doesn't touch. It does it, it doesn't work. It doesn't do good for me. I think that in the end, it, it's really going to come down to three tracks for me, and that's just Summer of Lily Pond, I Don't Worry As Much As I Should, and A Near Death Experiment. Uh, experience. The, these tracks, even though they're kind of separate, I mean, you're talking about five, seven, and eleven, it's really sparse throughout the album, but when they hit, they really, really hit hard. Those are three tracks, though, out of 11-track record. I, I Again, I hate when we have uh, topics that really come down to, hmm, well, how three much versus... Good. Yeah, like, you're doing a percentage thing here. That's that's really not how ratings should go. Um, but it does make me question the holes after a while. Because I would notice, since we've... Since music is a linear art, you do kind of tend to get a little bit bored during a spell where you're a little bit deprived. So between 7 and 11, that was a pretty big gap. 
you know, you got to be kind of honest about that. And we do rate the album, after all. We're not just rating tracks here. I really love the idea that that um that they're going for, but you know, you know who's rating it's, first? <laughs> not it. All right, I My guess pick. I'm I'm continuing. Yeah, with you, this. you're already starting. I go Keep last. going. Yeah, you're I was almost gonna talk last. about it. I'm going near, last. Ah, uh, he chose that option. I was almost gonna talk about near death experience uh, a little bit more, but to be honest, I think it's not the kind of, especially considering the. Uh, what I tried to do before in describing the chorus, it's really one of those things you have to hear. Yeah, this it. is, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's really not easy to describe. And it may not be a track that, you know, affects other people in the same way, for instance, but I just think it, it, it speaks to the, their talent of voicing things, which yeah. is just, I, I think it's a, it's a very disturbing thing in the end, which I, right. I, I can only say positively. Yeah, I think it's a great conclusion to the yeah. record, regardless for, of the, for the what I called, the you know, at the outset, for what I called a pop album. Yeah, you know, this that's is not the really kind, bizarre. I was gonna say this is not the kind of uh, conclusion track I would expect from a indie pop record. Yeah. That's why at the end of the day, I think I'm really amending it. This is straight up alt. This is this is alt alt pop maybe. You know, <laughs> if we had to pin a genre down. Okay, to it. it's I, I would go with that. Yeah. Uh, so that means this is probably is gonna come down to a question of. Uh, of of percentage maybe on this album i really want to rate it as as a as a whole and i mean of course i have to rate it as a whole that's not even for questioning but i want to hone in on those amazing parts because i always get this way i mean there's a big distinction i think from the band that has the capacity to go those big lengths and the band that just never even broaches it you know it it makes it almost seem trite to really hone in on on the stuff that maybe didn't grab me immediately or seems to be a little bit lighthearted or carefree. But it does come down to the album in the end. We're, go- we're talking about, you know, horrible to utter perfection. And it's just, I-, I-, I see the ways in which this album could have followed through on the other things. Especially the, the exploration of emotion here at their best is just phenomenal. Which means they could have done that in other places too. Yes, perhaps, maybe it would have been a little bit cluttered in a different kind of way, but, you know, there's just something about a very standard funk track, which I feel almost, oh, funk disco-ish, or, I feel like it almost doesn't fit on the same album as the kind that has I Don't Worry as much as I should. Like, it, I would never think that that would have, you know, such a, a carefree dance number. It's not that I'm opposed to it in any way, but... It does kind of come back to what John said before, you know, what's going to move me in the end? At the end of the day, what's really going to grab me as a listener? I, I, I like that depth. I like the exploration of emotion, and I like intriguing uh, instrumentation. Not just sound bites for the courtesy of sound bites. This album is almost split down the middle in that regard. I mean, there's moments where things are just bizarre and out of place, and then there's moments where they are so astute to bring out the emotion at play. I can't give it a four just because of the space involved, where it is a little bit lacking, where I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit, you know, in certain places. It's like, why is that necessary? Why do you need to, why need to hone in on, on something so trivial as that when you just followed something so grandiose as this? I guess I'm going to be that shallow when it comes to this. I, I, I want more. But... 
I'm so drawn into the tracks that do offer it, and I'm so drawn into the ins- uh, the instrumentation there, the inclusion of saxes, how tasteful it was, the whole sax outro there, amazing, and the other sound bites throughout. The mixing work is stellar. That really, really hoists us up so that I can't put, I can't rate the filler that lowly. It's gonna be just shy of a four, three point nine. I can't go that heavy because the parts I do enjoy, I really, really love. The parts I don't like, I really don't like. And that duality is just very jarring for me. It's, it's, they were writing an okay book that really had a great core section, a great act two, but act three falls apart. And, and, and it gets summed up in in an epilogue where you understand everything, but and that 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 ending is just so weak up until a near death experience that i i can't enjoy it as an album as a whole the same way i can with so many other albums we've listened to so many al- other albums i i just truly love that may not have the same level of quality as i don't worry or as summer of the lily pond like these are really amazing songs the uh, conceptually just astounding but it, the impl- uh, implement implementing implementation the implementation i was on a roll the implementation of these songs are just their art they really did a hell of a job making art into the out of these songs to to couple it with these other tracks that are just so not even mad just so bad at times i I don't know what's going on they can be great they really do I'll interrupt you just to say I didn't feel bad. I, there was no, there was no moment Steve. on this album that I that I hated. Yeah, there were just I, question it's marks. Not, just I question didn't marks. hate anything. There was just parts where I just, I are just to me, just bad, bad parts. Question marks and maybe a little bit laughter, like <laughs> laughing at as opposed to laughing with. Yeah, but uh, for that, none of it is unlistenable. I mean, there's nothing in here that is. It's just really bad musically. They just didn't know where they were going. They got really aimless towards the end. For that, I'm, I'm, I would have been on board if they had done something that really lived up to "I Don't Worry" towards the ending, like something that deep. It would have been four, maybe a little bit more. I mean, the theme was going so great, but chopped up at the end. It's a three-five. There's just enough detractors that I I can't put it close enough to the four. I can't really just rate it under. It's it's a three five, as a whole. For me, this it's interesting being the only person here who has a a previous experience with Hello Goodbye. This album is leaps, bounds, and strides better than any of their previous work. And I don't mm. dislike the previous work. There's a, there's there their song. Which is aliens, dinosaurs, zombies, monsters, whatever the order was for it. It's it's a really good record, but it's very wholesome and very simple. And simple's not bad, but they didn't really build on anything. And I like how in this record they built on something. The ukulele's still there, the guitar's still there, the keyboard's still there. But they're doing more with it. There were no bad tracks. If you, in your opinion, thought it was bad, I can understand it. But the musically, technically, none of it was bad. There were moments that weren't as good as others. There were tracks that I only thought were okay. I still think An External Force is one of the worst tracks on the record. Mostly because I had nothing to say about it. And when 
you review music for a living, finger quotes, and you have nothing to say about a track, not a good sign. That being said, the great tracks were freaking great. Um, I Don't Worry As Much As I Should is a five-star song. Hands down. It is. It's beautiful. It's er it's earnest. It's honest in its earnesty, or earnest in its honesty. One or the other. Um, but I'm just so happy with this record, considering it shows that they're really coming into their own as a band. They're learning where they can grow and go. And while, yeah, sometimes when you add production value to something and the rawness goes away, sometimes you lose something. But I think the trade-off was, was really exceptional, especially in tracks like the the trifecta we keep talking about. Um, to touch on something that Steve said about the you liking the pop single track, but it didn't really seem to have a place on the record tonally, 90% of pop records do that. They have a song that... That's not a positive, though. No, of course not. But I'm saying, as far as tropes go, I can see why they might have gone in that direction, because they were maybe following a format. It, it, an explanation, not an excuse. I'm just saying I've seen it before. I see, but it's like you're almost going to push me down like as a result by just yeah. pointing that out. Although, I don't know, I was almost thinking... I'm very bad at keeping my ratings for the purposes of just... Your rating five, is five on minutes. point for what you described. If you lowered it, you'd be untrue to what you described. Not, necess you not necessarily. Not necessarily. I, I, I would <clears throat> only lower it just slightly just because, after all, I, you know, we had a huge discussion just last week about theme versus arc and how I think I... I clarify that at least my stand on that was that arc is probably more powerful than theme in the end for uh in the end for an album right just because it really is the emotion that it takes you on whether or not the theme is is clear you know one way right. or the other and i think arc is really the big detractor here and i think i've rated i've rated certain albums uh lower you know for for more perhaps it's hard to say it's like with Monomena, you know, they offered a lot, right? But I had to bring them down to 3.75 because the arc and theme were sort of absentless. I feel like that's sort of the problem here. Theme is there, but arc is, is absent. 3.75, I get the same rating as that. That's not that much lower. Okay. Now I'll finish my review. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, and that I didn't know you thing that I hadn't done yet. You so, done? I mean, no. over, overall, though... I thought he gave his number already. No, I haven't. <laughs> assumed. So, so, overall, I mean, as far as a, a Hello Goodbye record goes, they're definitely on the right track. I can't wait to see their next record because I think they're definitely moving in a great direction. And if we get more songs like the, the tracks that we loved, we'll get a lot. I don't think I'm going to be as hard on, it, hard on them as you guys... I'm rating it a little bit higher because, like I said, emotionally, except with the exception of those three tracks, I'm looking at it the glass is half full. I connected emotionally on so many tracks on this record. The three that were kind of absent aren't going to bring it down as much for me. So I'm going to give it a 3.9. I think I'm still a glass half full. I like... With Monomena, I felt lost emotionally. I was confused with that record. I wasn't necessarily. Right. But it was a different perception and understanding. And I think for me, I connected so well with so many of these songs. And the endearing, sweet, loving love songs, they just suck me in. I'm a sucker for them. And I think they really were well placed on this record. And there's not enough detractors in them for me personally to bring it down. Posthumously, it's as if it died. <laughs> but um, I probably will raise Monomena. Um, I, I think I did, actually, for the last years because that fell under the, yeah. the 2012 route. You might have. But... Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, but, it, but overall, it's fair what you're doing. Yeah, overall, I think it's a 3.9. I think it's just shy of a 4 because, again, there is a three-song chunk where I go, ugh, 
Ugh. So, you know, that hurts it. But the final track more than made up for me to bring me up to 3.9. Whereas John felt it wasn't enough, I felt it was just enough to save it enough from kind of plummeting back down. It's that divide, I think, just between, you know, the full emotion and the carefree soul. It's that... It sometimes works in its favor, right. but you sometimes have to force yourself to believe it does. Right. It's almost that like leap of faith. That in itself could be the difference of a point five right there. Which um, makes sense. For me, I'm just that's reason I'm putting it at three seven five is because on one hand there's John where you don't have the full faith in it, and then there's you where you're giving it the faith. I'm just I'm kind two of in between, the middle. Two well, between which makes it. sense. I I had a weird thought. I I this is almost. It's almost like a. Uh, uh, a point of view of Romeo from Romeo and Juliet. Oh, no, less death. Please tell us, Mr. English. No, well, uh, Romeo and Juliet, as you know, is... I know is Roman the, Okay, <laughs> anyway. No, it kind of follows the same sort of idea of... It, well, it follows the same exact storyline, to some extent. Of Romeo and Juliet, a lot. Thematically. Base, it really does. Thematically. And yeah. it, I have the same sort of problems I with this album as I do with Romeo and Juliet, is that the ending doesn't really make much sense. They kind of do... It, Shakespeare kind of copped out on that play. Oh, I disagree with that. I mean, I'm not... I mean, it's gonna... I, I feel like you need to outline the similarities a little bit more clearly for me to even believe that one way or the other. Whether or not Shakespeare copped out or not at the end is, is, I, is, is besides the point. You know what? I'm, I'm, I haven't wrote, written an article in a very long time, but I give Matt permission to bother me every day until I write this article comparing this album to Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, you have fun with that. But I, mean, I think I'm going to do that. At least okay, give me, just I'll before, believe it when it happens. We wrap this up, I gave you permission. Okay. Before we wrap up and move on to this, this topic, I just need a little bit more than this. Okay, well, before uh, for, we... For the Romeo and Juliet comparison. Before we get to that... No, you're not going to do it, are you? Before, <laughs> not right now. Before we get to that, the overall on this is you should definitely hear this record. It's definitely worth hearing. If you're a fan of pop music, go out and re- buy it. But, but the overall rating is it's right in the middle. Definitely go hear this record. Check it out on Spotify. You'll enjoy at least the single, if nothing else. Yeah. So go check it out. It's got, it's got it's got beat work comparable to that of Daft Punk. That yeah. says a lot right there. Yeah, sure. Especially since these guys haven't been around as long as Daft Punk. Yeah. And so, uh, speaking, that us. speaking of Let's our... Let's awkwardly stumble speaking, no, no, no. into our topic. Speaking of the single... <laughs> single... Single... <laughs> Shush, children. <laughs> speaking of the single, which is Everything is Debatable... Uh, singles, singles in general. What's up with them? Yeah, what's up with that? Crazy, yeah. right? Singles, they like we spoke how this bigger something. Matt mentioned that this single was kind of different from the rest of the album, and that's something that that that's kind of weird nowadays. Is people will do real eye catchy singles, especially in the more mainstream well, media. It comes down to, to to pull you into an album that may not well, have yeah, anything to sing, do with it. Singles have a different meaning now. Singles used to be in the record and cassette era. It was a single song on a single cassette before the album came out. The radio was... single was on a cassette, usually with a B side that was another song from the album, and it was the only way to get those new tracks before. The album came out because you see kids back before Napster existed. You couldn't just download music. Kids you had to go Napster buy it. Is. That's yeah, true. Yeah, really? I, I did. I, yeah, I, it was sort of Poor on purpose. Poor form, Matt. Yeah, Poor well. form. But no, I, I, that's what I was getting at is the idea of the origin. You have to think about singles and the origin of the term and why singles even exist. Period. They were a marketing yeah. product. That's it. They were to market when the record. When you really think about it, it makes a lot more sense. 
I'm even going before that. It's not to market a record, necessarily. Before that, it was just the song itself, and that's what mattered, period. That's because true. that's what would matter, I mean, just historically. Well, and music, it would market you would the have band a single so. piece of music. Yeah. You wouldn't always have breaks. That's not the first thing that comes to your mind. You would have a single piece of music. And, of course, the most easily accessible form of music is something that's, you know, not too long, not too short, a nice, solid, meaty four minutes of something catchy that gets you moving. That's a good history of the single and the fact that in the early days of music recording you could only fit about that long on a record that about three four minutes that's about what a 78 would carry because they would spin so fast and they would just wind up at the end so yeah you kind of need to make your song fit into that into that framework so it yeah. just became the standard for a while and then it also became uh the eps which the singles were just whatever songs you got out first and were thrown on an EP to introduce yourself as an artist, especially for the newest artist. Well, that's not even yet. I mean, as far as the progression that was, of, that was late. That was of music goes, you first 80s. have to evolve to the album. The album would come when, of course, you'd have bands or, or groups that would have a bunch of different singles. In, uh, they would just have a bunch of different songs, period, right? This is all of our work. How are we going to group them together, or can we even group them together? And that became possible when you had the LP, the long play, 33, which would take about 10 tracks. Perfect. Yeah. Now we can sell songs, you know, in, in bulk. bulk. Right. But going to what Matt says, that is why uh, singles persisted past that point. Because Otherwise, they became they, the marketing they tool. They became the marketing tool they for the album. The Think about the idea of, like, in that thing you do, the, the handing the cassette to the station manager to play the song. Exactly. You know? That's one song, you know, which it, it doesn't really happen now. It's like if a band comes out, I mean, singles just take on a different form. I mean, like we were talking, the way I discovered the single for this record we reviewed today, so I looked up the YouTube video. That's where singles really thrive now in a modern era. Right. It's through YouTube. In, and in, back then, they thrived through the radio. Yeah. That's really the, I mean, the radio is, was, when the LP came out, the radio was already the big thing. So it made sense that that's how bands would, they were already marketing themselves through the radio. So all of a sudden, now that you have an album, right, use it as a marketing tool to sell that album by putting the single on the radio. And of course, being interested in making money, the radio wants to put out the thing that's going to grab people the most, yeah. the catchiest, most catchiest, grabbable track they can possibly find out of your work, right? And... That's why people started knowing singles and buying the 45s, which would still be singles, just yeah. in their individual form. I mean, I can remember, I actually have a very distinct memory of in high school. Oh, wow, I'm going to date myself. Um, uh, back in high school, or it might have even been junior high school, back when Puff Daddy was actually still popular oh, God. and known, he put out a song called More Money, More Problems, which sampled... Um, I can't remember the old eight, eight, 70s or 80s song it sampled, but it was a song featuring Puff Daddy, Mace, and Notorious B.I.G. It was one of the hugest singles that came out that year. And I remember buying a disc, a CD. It had that song and one other song from the record on it, and that's it. And I was so excited to have this physical media because I had no way else to get the song. Well, that's an old marketing tool also, just adding like a bonus track on top mm -hmm. of a single thing because, of course... And then that would happen well, with the 45s as well. You'd have the single on the front. Hmm, what are we going to put in the back? Put something else on. A nice little surprise. Well, that's what kept a lot of the singles alive, even into the CD and download generation, is like Matchbox 20, once, when they released um, the first single off their second album. I can't remember what it is off the top. A Bent. When they first released Bent, they also re released three acoustic versions of songs from their first record. 
on the single for the second record, right. which which was uh, the only way at the time you get these crazy acoustics and special editions. Now right. you can just download them or find them online. So being that the radio also was the thing, one of the main reasons that people would actually find music all the way up until the 90s, to be yeah. honest, um, being that that was the main source, then it made sense that singles would, would carry pretty much the same function, just as you said, to sell the record. Yeah. All this kind of changes after the internet comes around. Well, the funny not even no, it wasn't even the internet. It was MTV. MTV reinvented the idea of a single. Well, also right, that's, now that's you had to, you had a couple with with a dazzling visual display. It's true. Before Whether that, was, a single uh, was just the hit song. Now it's a hit song and a video. Whether it was the 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 beautiful esoteric of unwell to the very simple dance movements of uh, Beyonce or something to that effect. Spice Girls. They, you had to couple it with the visual you wanted to portray of it and catch people that way on top of it. Well, and also... The perfect example... No, that's a very good point. I don't want to overlook music videos. Video they, they killed the radio it. star. The, right. the culmination of the trend... The, the, the start of the transition from radio. And also the very radio. first music video ever made. Right. Which but is, that's, that's a perpetuator, though, in my opinion, of the single. Yes. yes, but it reinvented what the single was. No longer were they the A side, because the singles were always going to be on the A side. The B side was the other songs. There was I remember listening on the radio and actually having late night B side specials, the less known songs, the less played songs. In this case, because of the way the CD format works, the way the cassette format works, um, the the videos became just. Wherever, whatever song you wanted to pull out of an album, do you think you can make something that will visually stimulate you while pleasing to the ears? And perfect examples of artists that did that to to, to a beautiful extent was uh, bands like Blink-182, because they were the ones that really got on this. Green Day, The Gorillas. Oh, but it was so much earlier, though. I mean, so oh, much yeah. earlier. And uh, granted, to, to, to what degree, you know, is entirely up to you, but... Um... I, I, for one, love just little creative uh, acting numbers. Of course, uh, earlier you go, Thriller, of course. Right. I mean, or, is, is a masterpiece. Well, Motown. That you just don't even get nowadays. Or even think about, if we're going to talk music video as a medium, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel, between the computer graphics, the stop motion, like it was revolutionary for the time. You know, it was it was about marketing the band and what would pop. You know, and then, I mean, even in the 90s and 2000s, it became mini-movies. Think about half of Eminem's videos. They did videos. become mini-movies. Even, um, oh, I was just watching the other day, Rapture by Blondie. That, yeah. That, that is, that's just hilarious, just to watch her going through this, this mesh of people. That must have, I was always, I would always wanted to be in that music video, just because there's all these people, there's a girl who's just walking toward a wall, staring straight ahead. They're all, like, nobodies. And, of course, the, you know, we got this, this mini-rap in the middle of the, of the track, Actually, not a mini rap, it's a full-on rap, and some people even consider it the birth of rap itself. Um, if you don't count stuff that came out in the seventies, but uh, at least at least for a new wave white girl, <laughs> but um, she came out and she did this blondie thing. She's talking about men from Mars and everything. It's this very visual song, right? Yeah. And yet bizarre at the same time. So of course you want to show it. You want to you want to provide all these visuals. And one of the best genres that that really cemented the idea of the video. Uh, creating the new single was hair metal and we were talking about this a little bit earlier uh, Storm and I hair metal did a, an incredible job of turning music into movies 
It yeah. really did that. Well, think about the video for Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It. It's a mini movie. You know, father scolds son for listening to music. Son wants help with his father. Summons giant buff men in makeup to beat the hell out of his father. Like, or, I mean, it, yeah, you it's can do over the top thing. You want. Or, or one of my favorite, like, really early videos was Aerosmith, uh, Walk This Way. I, have you ever seen that? Oh, with video? Run DMC, the yeah, Run DMC the version, Run DMC sure. which was Aerosmith the original version, one, but yeah, was just was oh, yeah, just amazing, and it was it was very of the era. Well, it yeah, was, but I mean, almost I mean, sitcommy. That's the thing. Singles, I think themselves. It's a good point you brought up videos because I think that's really what elevated singles not to just things that will pop, but things that that would pop and pop visually. But that's almost like a little considering that music videos I don't think were focused on after as much after a certain point because yeah. of the decline of MTV um because VH1 kind of picked up that slack after a little while and then they declined a little bit as well either way there was definitely a little bit of decline. there was a point where people were actually discovering them through MTV and not through the radio right yeah. so of course that's then it has to be kind of a, an intense visual experience, yeah. which changes the single from something that could have just been simpler and pop-out-ish to something that is theatrical. That's yeah. a role it never had before. I'd still argue that that's almost more of a phase than anything else. It kind of returned to its original uh, use, its original focus, yeah. just to pop in general, right? right? Ideally, maybe to dance, too. The other thing, I think one of the reasons uh, you consistently market singles is because when you release an album it gives an artist two things to sell yeah that's kind of important uh at least for their finances and whatnot and you know that's very beneficial to the producers well also keep in mind now and moving into the modern generation the reason music videos are kind of making a comeback is because the constant stream of social media between twitter facebook tumblr Pinterest, all these visual mediums, the music video is finding a rise again through also YouTube. YouTube, of course. Well, but YouTube, right, and YouTube's perpetuating because you can share a video from YouTube on anything now. It's bringing it back, but of course, that just depends. It's more, there's almost anything is possible now. My so proof, that, that, that brings it to like, well, what does the artist really want to do with their music? It's not always about the artist, though. I mean, my example is What what Does the Fox Say by uh, uh, Gaius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that gained popularity, not because the song is good, but because the video is ridiculous, the lyrics are ridiculous, and it went viral, which is something you never had to worry about 10 years ago. I mean, it, was the, it saw the reemergence of Rick Astley. Never Gonna Give You Up became bigger because of the YouTube generation, a whole decade or two after it came out. Well... It's like what I was saying before earlier in this album review, how certain tropes from the 80s, which were just tropes at the time, and who know, like, you could have had any division of opinion at the time as to how people really felt about this modern form of, of bizarre pop, and now people interpret it as kitschy, yeah. so they're going to view the videos the same way. I mean, there's any number of sites where you can go on and watch videos from stuff from the 80s, even bad stuff from the 80s, like the Take site Everything is Terrible. Gone me. You ever heard of that? No. Oh, I Take love that music video. Are you kidding? What? He's singing Take Me On. Uh, that's take on not me. at all what remember I was talking video? about. Of course I remember that. That's yeah. that's actually, that's, that's, that's what popped the real Rick Astley. I mean, You're that's talking... what brought him back to popularity. Yeah. But I'm talking about the bad stuff. Really that's bad a, stuff. I was talking about that's Some people bad. Do. I'm citing that as a bad video. I, I disagree. Actually. No, it wasn't. Actually, for the I technology, it was revolutionary. You. I just couldn't. I can't stand that's that That's why I wasn't video. sure with your segue right there. No, because... that, was, that wasn't a segue. That was trying to bring content. Well, very well. 
You're I just, I you are, like you are a, a, really a critic like from it. now who is analogous to one of the critics from the 80s. Because, yes, there were critics from the 80s who really didn't like that video now either. Yeah. But I'm more from the kitschy school of thought right now, and maybe you're still against it. I, I, I'm, I tend to be a little defensive of 80s pop it's a, here and there because it is still a, a – it has a character unto itself that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to singles, the birth of the internet – I think is really where things started to change a little bit because he jumped the gun a little bit with YouTube because then things started changing for the dramatically. Rest. Yeah, but as of for instance Napster, yeah. the generation where you really have access to almost anything you want, even you know depending upon the lengths that you're willing to go to, it's often or not that difficult on the internet. When you propose that, then it's no longer about hmm, I need one thing to sell me on this. Really, if you have the patience, then you don't need just one thing. You, you can, can get all let it. the album speak for itself, and that's yeah. it. Um, that option was always available, but now it's uh, if if you were willing to purchase it. But now you can do it before the purchase it. it before you purchase it, it's a lot more likely that um, that the single would lose meaning, especially yeah. at that point in time. I'm talking like really turn of the century right here. No, yeah, yeah the single did start to decline in the Napster generation, but but it, I think it's starting to find its footing again now in, in the social media generation. But right, but what about point, as an art form itself? No, no, but it, it seems like it's only gaining that, that, that re-emergence in certain genres because we were talking about Sigaros, Kvecker, weeks ago, and how the two singles that were released for that album didn't feel like singles. Because they were just really content from the album. The album well, became... Well, that's because artists don't plan around singles anymore, and I think that's the fundamental change. If an artist doesn't plan around singles, and, and they don't listen to you know what producers tell them, if producers saying, oh, uh, if a label is telling, oh, yeah, try to come up with you know one or two tracks that's a little more upbeat. If they don't care about that, if they just care about their art form and their album as a whole, then all that is meaningless. And to be fair, also, singles can come about... By accident. I mean, in the realest form. That's true. Like, the song that's the single on this, Everything's Debatable, they could have just wrote a real fun song and then after the fact went, hey, that'd make an okay single, let's make that the single. Not all singles are crafted, determined to be singles. Sometimes it just kind of works out that way. Well, there's, True sometimes, but there's, sometimes there's, you can tell. You can usually no, of tell. Course, there's sure. some blatantly obvious pieces done by the the... Highest earners, we'll put them that way. The highest earners in our musical society. Of course. Well, if you're if you're pre-processing and packaging a thing, you're going to do everything yeah. to make sure it succeeds. You're going to try to make place. every well, song this, a this single. Well, this is where I want to really take this conversation. I mean, now that we've gone through the history of it and we've taken it to where it stands now, we know that singles are still prevalent. But what about the connotations that they have as we look through these different areas in history? I mean, in the end. What do you really want out of a single itself? And why do we have these little negatives that we put towards singles that are just so simple and carefree? They don't offer us any substance. All these things that, that we we are kind of critical of, especially if you look in our last few episodes. I've been critical of it. John's been critical of it. Sometimes we're defensive of it. But even then, we almost feel like we're throwing a dog a bone. I think that the thing is, the singles now, and the reason I'm usually more forgiving of singles is because their job now in this reemergence is to catch attention. That's really it. I agree. And that's the primary reason, I think, why we're a little negative on it. Because after right. all, you, then you're looking, you're looking at the intelligence of the public at play. I mean, how shiny does it have to be? Like, 
Yes. Is that really how shallow society I will, is? Um, I will say yes. Actually, yes. I hate yes. that. Yeah. I hate that up front. I'm still more of a, a person who enjoys stumbling upon something cool and something amazing than having it fed to me. I want to feel. I want to have that little bit of exploration, which is why when I heard a band like Cage the Elephant for the first time on the video game Borderlands introduction, that was eye popping because it was something. I never really heard before, and I stumbled upon it. I found it in a media I wasn't expecting. Right. Stuff like that. But that's, or but Laszlo that's... Bane and I'm No Superman, the theme song from Scrubs. First time I heard that, I had to look up that song. I had to look up that artist because I was just intrigued with it. Yes, but that's that's personal experience that someone else in a different location at a different time could have discovered Cage the Elephant because he saw them in their hometown and never heard of Borderlands. But I'm saying that the stuff huh. the stuff that is being presented to us in in the actual idea of here's music seems to be the stuff I'm actually shying away from. I can't be that general. It's a case by case basis. For I'm me. really is... kind of with John on this. I mean, if you look at, I mean, just base statistics the vast majority of bands out there that really is the purpose that the single serves yes everyone you will have exceptions that you're describing they're perfectly accurate but they're just they're not the majority i don't think they're the majority well i think the difference it, it just means that you need to be a little bit discerning you don't want to immediately cast off a single just simply for being a single well i think also the thing is it depends on where you're looking for your music to and how you're getting it that will determine how vapid the singles you're discovering are as well yeah, I will agree to that. But uh, for me, I like opening a present, not knowing what I'm getting myself yeah, into. Yeah, and just, of course. Or even an Easter egg hunt at times, where I find it in the least likely of spots. Well, yeah, discovering music for the first time is always my favorite thing. Well, I mean, that's one way to look at. It. I, I, I take a bit of a different uh, take on it, just because. I think for me, the single, the reason why I shy away a little bit is because I like the album so much as a, as a as a flowing art form. Of course, singles are often bumps in the road. They they are that courtesy, you know. Here's music, just like John said. That's it doesn't fit in the grand in the grand scheme of things. Often, again, rule of thumb, doesn't fit. It'll be a bump. I don't I don't like the bump. I want the art the the art form to flow in the logical fashion fashion that the artist originally intended it to flow i found um uh talking about that flow the the migration that we recently reviewed uh last episode last week yeah i actually found a five and a half minute snippet video of just aspects of the songs when i was searching on looking for actual music videos for their stuff they don't seem to actually have any uh it's not very common with prog not nothing i found but it was great to actually get sort of just a, an overview, one-tenth of the actual size of the album. It's only five and a half minutes long. It was enjoyable just to get that, just to, just to sort of experience that part. This is That's song true. A, B, C, D. That, I think, might be the next logical step of the single for for the non-packaged music. Well, yeah, but that, that, that comes the, down to just, you know... For the album. It, it, that might be the next album single. That comes down to favorites, that comes down to whether, you know, if you enjoy that particular song on an album, then sure, you're going to want to promote it, you know, as much as you want. And you're going to want to listen to play it over. Sure, you don't have to experience the, the flowing album first track to last every single time. Sometimes I, 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 
I'm the first to admit I'm a sucker for sometimes just loving a song so much I will have it on constant repeat, even just a section on constant repeat. I mean, considering we can do that very easily with our little sliding bar. Considering we do do that, especially when we are listening together. Yeah, I mean, there's there's sections. You know, it's it's sometimes it's about the full piece and then sometimes it's about the moment. Um, but that's almost happenstance. That doesn't have to be the single. That would just be any particular song. That doesn't single out anything. That would be just the, the single song that you like. No, but that's that might be the next step of what singles may become for a lot of types of music. I also found it for 13 by Black Sabbath. I also found it for uh, Boards of Canada. I also found it for Godsticks. I mean, I went online well, yeah. after... after You'd find it's it funny. It sounds less like a CD... It sounds less like a single and more like a trailer. It, yes, it's that's a trailer exactly, for that's, an that's album. That's perfect. That they have clips be, of the album to be a trailer for the record. That and might is, be is the that thing not to do the next. same exact purpose that we described in the very beginning that no, singles absolutely. had always been yeah. to sell so the album. It could, John could be very well right. It could be the next. We came, we came from a pitch to a trailer. Great, yeah. great. We, no, instead same of, damn thing. <laughs> no, no, but instead of one song, they are snippets of all the music to give you a full-fledged preview. Just like a trailer to see the lovey-dovey side, the action side, the explosions, and, you know, some tension. A little bit of everything. That might be the next logical step. Okay, so you really mean uh, a, a bunch of songs together. That's what I no. That's what I mean. Oh, that's, you had that's what that, okay. I, that was, was talking about. You know what that reminds me. Of? That reminds me. It was me thirty of, um, seconds of each song in order. You ever watch infomercials late at night and they'll be advertising something like best of the eighties or yeah. best of Christian rock or best of anything? And right? they play and a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there. there. You're only gonna get about ten seconds, you yeah. know, with uh, as the scroll goes and it's highlighted. And you well, yeah, it's see like what the um, um, what was it? Whose line is it anyway? Used to make fun of that, where like Ryan Styles and. And Colin Mockery would introduce a ridiculous song titled by a ridiculous artist who would never sing a song titled that, and then Wayne Brady would have to make up a song on the spot. And it was the idea of those late night infomercials. I mean, in the end, though, this. In the end, in the end. <laughs> it's all in the end, I guess. But it comes down to. Like, what the band. Well, first of all, how popular the band is, because. That's best done, I think, with band. You know, you could do that to a best of Aerosmith. You know, then okay, then oh, you're yeah. then you're advertising Aerosmith if you have to advertise Aerosmith, because probably the most people who'd be looking at that would be people who know oh, Aerosmith already. already yeah. yeah, and they're just like, yeah, I remember all of those greats. I'm gonna buy this. But when you're looking at the Spotify generation, where everything is still accessible anyway, then I think you're just looking at uh, the difference between someone who is less inclined to delve right right and not as if you have to do much delving anyway all you have to do is listen to it it's right there listen to it endure a couple of advertisements and then you know the album front to back and all you did was just spend a little bit of extra time than you did if you had listened to the trailer i mean is it really that bad that we need a five minute trailer for a 45 minute thing have you met the american public (laughs) i'm just saying doesn't mean it can't be critical though well that's fair um no, I think that I think John's right, and it's a good kind of area to kind of bring this around. Is I think that we're unfortunately a a a world of short attention spans, and that might be where the CD singles are going next. Huh? Oh, sorry, I stopped paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Shiny things distract me. Yeah. Said the American. Steve, people. I have an important question for you. Oh, go for it. Do you have a spam mail for us? A spam mail? Yes. Do I have a spam mail? Spam. It goes good on the bread. Cheap jerseys, rumors adding Mike Wallace possible? Cheap jerseys, rumors adding Fred Davis possible? 
In early August 2012, David Caruso was busted for allegedly deciding to grab a youngster in the draft and re-sign proven players rather than going after high-priced free agents. How can the cheap jerseys trust Bill Emery and Lubby Smith? Campbell was slow to get up today's a little bit too much, but he's a potential game-changer when he's present. The company had an IPO in December 2011. Cheap jerseys. We get a lot of sports guys on our Dude. podcast, which is weird. About that was pretty de- in-depth, though, for them. They, yeah. They went deep. It was almost English, too. That's right. But yeah, and uh, what I was really surprised is that I don't think any of the players they mentioned are really on fantasy football leagues. Mm. Like, they're, they're not even on the radar, to be honest. I just saw Mike Wallace, and I thought newscaster, so... Ah, obviously. 60 minutes. Um, I want to take a moment at the end of the podcast to congratulate Rachel and Joe. Um, Joe is one of our writers on the website. They just had a baby boy named Mason. So congratulations to you guys. Also, next week is a little different. We're bringing back one of our good friends, uh, Nate, from the Average Intelligence Podcast. He's rolling solo this time to join us in an avid and exciting discussion about John Williams. Oh, and we are quite avid. We are. Quite excited. Um, We've been talking about this. As a bumper up front, we will briefly discuss the larger works of Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Indiana Jones, but those will be left for specific topic discussions at another time. We're going to do a more broad, single movie discussion of John Williams' other works, like Jurassic Park, E.T., Jaws, just to name a few. Although, actually, Jaws had like four movies, I think. One, two, three, four, five. We're talking about one. Okay. We're talking about one. Talking about the one that matters. Yeah. Does Sharktopus count? Mm, shut up, John. It's the, it's the how spiritual. About, how about Sharknado? Did, so, did John Williams so, do that? Sharknado? He's the spiritual oh. successor. Oh. And also, he did Catch Me If You Can, and AI, and Close Encounters, and, and Hook, the, uh, all right, and Home right. Alone, and Home Alone 2. He's done a lot. And we're going to discuss exactly why he, his work so there's there's extends no, into our into our the pantheon of music it's, and why we talk about him a, primarily. He's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um we're, <laughs> there's no album specifics for next week, but if you want to I would check out some soundtracks by John Williams if you want to stay up with us. Um but we're pretty much going to discuss the importance of the pop culture composer and one of the biggest is John Williams. So join us next week for that and uh, I guess that's it. Unless yes. anyone else has anything else to add? Hopefully we can have a Danny Elfman one one day. We we will. I think I like I want to put him side by side, even though a lot of people say he's just second and maybe even far down. But well, he's I, become kind of a parody of himself lately. Yeah, perhaps. But you know, hey, I'm sure even John Williams has some throwaways in his work. Probably. Maybe somewhere those, those Lost in Space episodes. Yeah, yeah. We were looking at his, all his earlier work. He's got he did Lost in Space episodes. That surprises the crap out of me. And on that note. Music is life, and life is good. Good night.